0: How many of you have a nickname? Or how many of you have ever been called by a nickname at any point in your life? Put your hands up, nickname. Let me just say this. I'm super jealous of all of you who put your, name, your hands up and have a nickname. I've always wanted a nickname. I don't have a nickname, but I've always wanted one. I've had friends who have nicknames. I've gotten to go to school with guys and girls who have some really cool nicknames. One of my friends, his nickname was Wheels. But don't get the wrong impression. It wasn't because he was super fast or he owned an awesome car. No, he was named Wheels because, despite how he looked, he was quite possibly the slowest person I've ever met. And so, everyone said he needed a new set of wheels. They called him Wheels. But this one makes more sense. We had another friend, his name was Skis, and he stood at about five feet, six inches. And despite his vertical challenge, he had size 13 feet. And so no matter what kind of shoes he wore, wherever he went, it looked like he was wearing skis. I've always wanted a nickname. That is, uh, until this last week, I got thinking about nicknames a little bit and a couple people in particular. I want to tell you about two of them. The first is another high school classmate of mine. Her name is Allison, and just so you know who Allison is, let me tell you about her. She is one of the kindest, most outgoing, uh, most socially well-adjusted persons that I know. Don't worry, she has lots of friends now. She did in high school as well, but a week before Allison and I and all our classmates had our very first day freshman year in high school something very unfortunate happened to Allison. She was on vacation with her family and the story goes like this so I'm told that she was hiking with them and she slipped while going down a pretty steep incline and not to worry she wasn't seriously injured except she endured quite a bit of uh, whiplash and so the doctor had her wear a neck brace for four weeks. And despite what my classmates and I learned about Allison, despite who she was and all she did and what we got to know about her over four years, Allison was always known better not by her first name, but by her nickname, Neckbrace Girl. It's not right. It's really, it's not right. Um... You think about it, it was a single moment in her life, a slip of her foot, and then all of a sudden, all 400 pages of what would have been her biography were whittled down to a single phrase, an unfair phrase that stuck with her, neck brace girl. It's not right. It shouldn't be like that, but sadly, that's what happens, and that's what happened to the other person whose nickname I thought about this week. It was a single moment in time. He made a comment to some of his friends, and he was stuck with a nickname for a very, very long time, all because he missed the very first Easter. I'm talking about Thomas, or I'm sorry, Doubting Thomas, as he is called. Thomas wasn't there, excuse me, Doubting Thomas, because that's all we call him, wasn't there for the very first Easter. He said to his friends, hey, Hey, maybe it was a little dramatic. Hey, unless I see Jesus and put my fingers in his hands and in the sword part uh, that was in his side, I'm just, I'm not going to believe it. And then it happened. Jesus showed up. He was there. And now forever and ever, he has that adjective stuck around him, clasped around him like a neck brace at your first day of freshman year of high school. He can't get rid of it. And it's not fair. I mean, think about it. From uh, Genesis to Revelation, there's recorded a lot of characters in scripture. And yet none of them have a nickname, a negative nickname like Thomas. And it's not like the people in scripture were without fault. No, there's some sinners in there. Very early in Genesis, we meet a guy named Noah. And we all know Noah and we also know that on one occasion, Noah got drunk and was wearing nothing but his birthday suit. And yet, what do we call him? No, we just call him Noah, not drunken Noah. And then there's Moses, one of the most revered prophets of all the Old Testament, and he was a murderer. But we don't call him murderous Moses. Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. And what do we call him? A wise Solomon. Solomon. Why not womanizing Solomon? Peter denied Christ, and yet we just call him Peter. Paul used to be called Saul, and he killed Christians, but we don't call him serial killer Saul. No, Jesus changed his name, and so we just go with that, and we call him Paul. Why is it that Thomas, of all people, is tattooed with doubting Thomas? I don't know. I'm not sure why he is the only one who's gotten stuck with a negative nickname. But I'm thankful that he has. In fact, I'm really glad that he has. And you might be saying, well, easy for you to say, no nickname, Matt. But that's not a good nickname. You're right. But I'm actually very grateful, very thankful that God's word not only records this incident, this story in Thomas's life, um, but shows us who he is, a doubter, What I mean is this, I'm also glad that Moses and Solomon and Noah and Peter and Paul are shown in Scripture, and I'm I'm glad that Scripture takes a light and shows it on their, even their awkward, embarrassing moments. But when I look at those men's lives, I can't exactly relate. They're very different from me and maybe different from you. They led different lives, and so sometimes it's hard for me to relate to their sins. But when I look at Thomas, and I read about Thomas in the scriptures, in the gospels, and there's only a few snippets about Thomas, more and more, what I find myself saying is, man, that is just like me. You feel me? I'm not trying to discredit that there are probably some of us in here who struggle with what drunken Noah struggled with. I'm not trying to diminish the fact that there may be people in here who deal with the same temptations that womanizing Solomon and denying Peter also struggled with. But I believe that all of us, including your pastor, can identify with the doubt that Thomas showed. I don't know. Maybe you doubt God's word. Maybe you doubt that God's word, which, let's be honest, was written 2,000 years ago, the latest parts written in the year 96 AD, well, those words are still actually relevant today. Maybe you doubt that what God says about marriage and sexuality is still applicable. Maybe you doubt that what God said about societal norms and, and women is actually relevant today. Maybe you doubt what God's word says about hell. That God, who's all-loving, would actually send people to a place where there is fire that does not go out. Aren't we past that? Uh, a God that is vengeful and hateful like that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you doubt what God's word says. Or maybe you doubt church. And the fact that church can still actually give you uh, an advantage for this life today. You've been burned by a pastor. You've gone to a church that's more interested in what's in your wallet than what's in your heart. You've gone to a church that's high on guilt and low on love. You've gone to a church maybe where you see a lot of Christians talking the talk but very few walking the walk. Maybe you doubt promises. Promises. That God has made in His Word. A promise that He, who arranged all of history and made a plan and brought you to the forefront of that plan and made a plan for your salvation, well, maybe you doubt that He also has a plan for your 80, 90 years on this earth. Maybe you doubt His promise that He says, when you seek me first and you stop making weak excuses. I will give you everything else you need. you doubt his promise that he says, when you come to me and you yoke yourself with me, you will find rest. I don't know what you doubt. Maybe you doubt the very same things that Thomas did. Maybe you doubt the resurrection. Maybe you doubt who Jesus says he was or who he claimed to be. But whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever your doubts, whatever your concerns, whatever your questions are, all of us have this. We all have to deal with a Jesus who breaks down the doors of doubt that we erect and stands in front of all of us like he stood in front of Thomas and says, stop doubting and believe. This is what he said. He came to his disciples just a week after Easter and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. In the whirlwind that was the week after Easter, Jesus drop right, drops right into Thomas' life and he says, Stop it, quit it, don't doubt anymore, believe me. And Thomas does. But did you hear the words that he said to Thomas after that? They're words for you, they're words about you. Jesus told Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus is talking about you. He said, Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. But what does that even mean? That's the question I want us to think about this morning. What does it even mean when you say, I believe? Because despite all of the questions about the Bible that you might have, all of the concerns maybe about church or Christianity, all of maybe the questions or reservations that you have, whether it's about religion or the resurrection, because you're here this morning, I'm willing to bet if pressed, you would tell me, yeah, I believe, I have faith. But when you say that, when you hear other people say that, what does that even mean? I believe. If you don't know the answer to that question, I'm glad you're here this morning because by the time you leave, you're going to be able to answer that with confidence because one thing is for sure is that God's word answers that question leaving no doubt on the table. Can I show you something? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to I show you something rather uh, geeky or Greeky, um, but it's kind of cool. And that is that we use the words faith and the words belief or believing rather synonymously. But in Scripture, it's all the same. It's all from the same word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read this. It is written, I epistoisa, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, Pistoios, faith, we also, pistoiomen, believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Why am I showing you this? Well, because as we get into that question about what it means to believe, we need to first look at what it means or what it doesn't mean to believe. And we have passages like this. Passages like Hebrews chapter 11 that says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. This is the first thing that I want you to to take note of, to write down. That believing is not seeing. Oftentimes, there is this idea out there that I got to see it to believe it. I need proof to know it's real. But in the arena of Christianity, in the realm of Christ, believing is not seeing. Can I show you what that looks like? I brought an eye mask with me today and I want to show you that believing is not seeing. In fact, believing has nothing to do with sight. It has nothing to do with our senses. So I'm actually going to plug my ears here too. And believing, I want to show you, is trusting. It's it's trusting someone's word. This morning on my way into church I told our worship director John, our friend, I said, "John, at some point during the sermon, I'm just going to blindfold myself and fall over black words and I'm just going to trust. I'm just going to believe without seeing you or hearing you that you're going to catch me. Sound good?" And well, we'll see if my faith, if my belief was misplaced or not. Oh thank goodness. <laughs> Let's give him a round of applause. (laughs) Thanks, John. That's the stuff of faith. That's what believing is. Believing is not seeing. Believing is trusting. And in the case of Thomas, in the case of all of Jesus' disciples, it's trusting in what Jesus said, in what Jesus' words were. Oftentimes, faith is the exact opposite of what we see. We see, like Thomas, that Jesus was a man. He was born, he lived, and he died. And yet there he stood before Thomas, before all of his disciples, as a man, and yet as our Lord, our resurrected Lord. And it moved Peter, or Thomas to say, my Lord and my God, because what Jesus does for Thomas, he also does for you. He doesn't leave you and I in a sea of doubt. He doesn't leave us crushed by our concerns, our worries, and our questions, but he takes all of those things. He takes all of those things upon himself and in return, he does not leave you empty. He fills you with his assurance, his words of assurance, his words of faith, his words of hope, his words of comfort, his words of peace. And we, we have a pretty good friend, John is pretty nice that he came up here, stayed true to his word. And it's pretty great that he's kind enough to do that and he's strong enough to catch me when I just fall backwards. But we have a God who is even kinder. We have a God who is even greater, who has always promised that no matter what you do, I will always have your back. I will always catch you when you're falling. Despite your unfaithfulness, I will always be faithful. Despite your sins, I'm still bigger. No matter what you do, I'm always with you Loving you, forgiving you, giving you my peace. That's why he said it over and over again. Peace be with you. This is what believing is. It's, believing is, it's not seeing. It's trusting that Jesus was who he said he was and did what he said he did and will do all that he has promised to do. Here's the next one. Believing is not deciding. It's another common misunderstanding about faith, about belief, especially among Christians. Oftentimes a Christian will say that I have decided to accept Jesus into my heart, or I've made a decision for Jesus. But scripture never, ever talks that way. Can I show you a passage from Second Corinthians, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. It says this, for it is by grace you have been saved. And grace is God's undeserved love. It's his unconditional, unending love that loved you before you needed God's love or even knew you needed God. It's by grace you have been saved. And then Paul goes on, he says, through pistoios, through faith. And this, that is faith, and faith is not from yourselves. It, that is faith, is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. This is faith. This is belief. It's, it's not deciding, but it's receiving. It's receiving from God the gift of God. Just like your salvation has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with your works, has nothing to do with your deeds, so also you're believing, you're trusting in Jesus your faith in Jesus, is not of you. It's not from you. It's a gift to you. Believing is not deciding. Believing is receiving. And that's what we see from Thomas. Let me see. Let me show you that section again. If you're there, please read along with me. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Well, he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came, walked straight to Thomas, slapped him upside the head for his doubt, and said, Thomas, believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Now that's not what it says, is it? No, again, this is what Christ shows us about belief. He doesn't come to Thomas and slap him for his, his sins of doubt, his sins of worry, his sins of fear what he comes to Thomas and said is, put your hands in my hands. Put your finger in my side and see. I've given you myself. I've given you the gift of God. I've given you myself. He doesn't leave Thomas in his doubt, but he gives him all that he is and all that is good. Believing is not deciding. Believing is receiving from God everything that God wants to give us. The mercy of God that says to his baptized children, I will never leave you alone. The love of our God that is shown most brightly on the cross. The forgiveness of our Savior who forgave all of our sins and now says to each one of you, if you forgive, it is also forgiven. The peace of the Holy Spirit that transcends all understanding and guards our hearts and our souls and our minds minds, this is what we receive from Jesus. Not because we've decided it's true, not because we've chosen it, but because he's a good God and he gives really, really good gifts. That's what believing is. Believing, it's not seeing, it's trusting. Believing is not deciding, it's receiving from our God and can I tell you just one more thing? When you answer that question, what does it mean that I believe? Here's what I believe. Saying you believe also means that your name has been rewritten. I don't know what your nicknames are, those of you who put up your hand, but imagine for a moment that there was a book. There was a book that records your life and it shows. All of your faults, all your embarrassments, all the most awkward moments in your life. If another person was reading that book, what spiritual nickname would they give you? I don't know, maybe you're lying Lori, maybe you're greedy Greg, maybe you're boozing Bob or porno Paula, maybe you're cheating Chad. But what do you think? What nickname, what spiritual nickname would someone give you? Or what nickname might you give yourself? Do you identify yourself with the skeletons that are in your closet? Can I tell you a story? It comes from John's gospel. Actually, just nine chapters previous to the resurrection here in chapter 20. In chapter 11, Jesus leaves the region called Judea because the Jews there tried to stone him. They tried to kill him. Um, But as soon as he leaves, Jesus gets word. He gets word from some friends of his that his dear friend, Lazarus, dies. And Jesus says, I'm I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go to the funeral. And his disciples immediately said, no, Jesus, bad idea. Don't do that. (laughs) If you go there, the Jews are gonna kill you. You remember what just happened, right? But then Jesus responded with an interesting statement. He said, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad, for your sakes, that I was not there. And it's so that you may believe. So that you may believe. That's what he says to his disciples. But you see, there was already a disciple in the crowd, in the 12 that day, who did believe. Who did believe. Without a doubt, know what Jesus was talking about, what Jesus could do, because he recognized who Jesus was. And this disciple responded in this way He said, Let us also go, that we may die with Jesus. He looks at the other disciples. He said, Man up, let's go, mount up. Don't stand around here twiddling your thumbs. Let's go with him. If he gets hurt, we get hurt. If he gets killed, we get killed. You know who that was? It wasn't bold Peter. It wasn't the disciple whom Jesus loved, John. It was Thomas. Not doubting Thomas, but confident, courageous, convicted Thomas. That's who it was. So who is Thomas, really? Well, he's neither doubting Thomas, nor is he bold Thomas. He's just Thomas. And really not just Thomas. He is loved Thomas, loved of the most high God, Thomas, friend and brother of Christ, Thomas. That is who he is. And you want to know why I know that? Because when Jesus showed up just a week after Easter, he didn't call Thomas a sinner or a saint, bold or doubting. He just called him Thomas. He just called him by his name, a name And in a way that reflected what is right and what is true. And that is he is one with his God. He's no longer an enemy. He's no longer a slave, but he's a friend of Christ. He's a son of God. And that is the name that he gives all of you. You see, when Christ rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit rewrote our names with crimson ink in the atoning blood of Christ. And we have a new name. We have a nickname. It's a running joke with my family that they know I've always wanted a nickname, but still don't have one. But this past week, I realized I do. It's loved. It's beloved Matt. It is loved by God, Matt. And that is your name too. It is loved John. It is loved Cindy It is loved Tracy, loved Matt, loved Christina, loved Will. That is who you are because you are in Christ. Your story is consumed by his story. We are no longer ours, but we are in Christ Jesus. And that's your name. And that's what believing is. Believing is simply being. It's being loved. It's being loved by God and knowing it. This past week, a friend of mine <laughs> sent me a picture. Um, and if you're wondering what it is, or if you have guessed it correctly, you're right. It's a cartoonish looking chicken, fat, happy looking chicken, um, as a statue. It was made by the famous uh, Colombian artist and sculptor Fernando Botera, and it was placed in the plaza, the San Antonio Plaza, in Medellin, Colombia. In 1995, 22 pounds of dynamite were packed underneath the base of this statue. And when there was a concert in this park, uh, the explosives went off, killing 30 people and injuring more than 200 people. But the Colombians and Fernando Botero weren't deterred by this. Just five years later, they put a statue that identified and was a replica of that statue in the park right next to it. And everyone wanted to take the former statue down, the one that was torn apart um, by explosives and a reminder of the violent past that that city saw because of the drug trafficking that went on there and all of the wars (laughs) over drugs. But the artist was adamant that the statue stays that the statue stays and it's a reminder of our past, but not a reminder of who we are, but a reminder of where we came from. You see, today, Medellin, Colombia, for all its history, is actually ranked as one of the most peaceful cities in the entire world. And that's because the people there no longer identify with their past in their present or as they look to their future. And you don't have to do that either. Because you believe, because you are in Christ, because your name is loved. And it's because of an empty cross and an empty tomb that means life. Amen.